we've got some pre-registration that if someone wants to do public testimony, they, they can kind of pick a slot. So hopefully we can meter, you know, that traffic up front. So we were able to do that in Cordova. Um, I think it went pretty well. Tonight on the KRBD Evening Report, in-person public testimony begins next Tuesday at the Board of Fisheries meeting in Ketchikan. Ketchikan's Borough Assembly will consider a rezone of property along the waterfront promenade, and the CDC is asking Americans to avoid cruise ship travel. Those stories and more coming up. First, a look at the local weather. Partly cloudy skies tonight with lows around 20 degrees and light winds. Snow on Friday with about two inches of snow. Highs around 30 degrees, southeast winds to 15 miles per hour. Snow Friday night with light snow accumulations. Lows around 30 degrees, southeast winds to 15 miles per hour. Rain on New Year's Day with highs around 40 degrees, south winds to 10 miles per hour. Rain and snow Saturday night, lows around 30 degrees. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Maria Dudzak. A rezone request for a quarter-acre vacant lot along Ketchikan's waterfront promenade is up for public hearing and final vote at the Borough Assembly's meeting Monday night. The request comes from KNB Real Estate, a Puerto Rico-based company that also owns other properties in downtown Ketchikan. Developers hope to build a mix of housing and shops. The lot is currently zoned for heavy industrial, which does not allow for housing. Only one neighbor expressed concern when the matter came before the assembly for first reading on December 20th. A consultant representing the owners said that the new building would retain the character of Ketchikan's historic new town and would not block views. Borough Planning Director Richard Harney told the assembly that if the lot is rezoned, the assembly will have limited review powers over the development. The assembly unanimously approved the rezone request in first reading. Neighbors and others, again, will be able to ask questions and provide feedback during Monday's public hearing. In other business, the assembly will consider calling on Canadian regulators to immediately pause permitting, development, and expansion of transboundary mines upstream from rivers that flow into southeast Alaska. If passed, Ketchikan will join several other southeast communities, including Craig, Juneau, Sitka, Petersburg, and Wrangell, along with environmental groups and a consortium of tribal governments, in seeking changes. Ketchikan's Borough Assembly meets at 5.30 p.m. Monday in the Whitecliff Building. Members of the public can weigh in at the beginning of the meeting and during public hearings. The full agenda is available at the borough's website, where the meeting is also live-streamed. It's also available on local cable channels. The Citizen Board that decides on seasons, gear, and area for fishing in Alaska opens up the new year in Ketchikan, meeting for nearly two weeks on southeast Alaska's salmon, herring, shellfish, and groundfish. The Board of Fisheries' southeast meeting has been delayed a year because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and the board has been meeting online for the past year. That was until an early December in-person meeting in Cordova on fisheries for Prince William Sound, along with the Copper and Susitna Rivers. The board's executive director, Glenn Haight, says that Cordova meeting went as well as he could have hoped. I was on pins and needles in the Cordova meeting just because of all the, the new things that staff was working on and doing. They were, they were running a Zoom meeting simultaneously with the board meeting and running that out through YouTube, which is how, how people can watch the, watch the meeting. But we were also doing a lot of side rooms that involved you know, staff uh, meeting with stakeholders or staff meeting with board members and things like that so there's just a lot going on and um i guess what i would just ask is is everyone's um, patience as we sort of sort out 
some of the tech and you know if we have bandwidth problems we might have to slow down and and readjust but there's just um we're doing a lot of things that we hadn't we haven't done before the january meeting in ketchikan will look somewhat similar one difference is masks are encouraged but not required at ketchikan's ted ferry civic center unlike the cordova meeting anyone attending in person is required to register that's also required for anyone planning to testify, and people testifying will be assigned a time. Haight says that's an attempt to cut down on the number of people gathering together indoors. Public testimony tends to be the busiest time of the meeting, like right away, where everyone comes and they turn in their, their public testimony cards and wait to go. And, you know, without that certainty of when you're going to go, you sort of just you show up at once. So we've got some pre-registration that if someone wants to do public testimony, they, they can kind of pick a slot. So hopefully we can meter, you know, that traffic up front. So we were able to do that in Cordova. Um, I think it went pretty well. There's some video conference participation by staff, but not by the public. Testimony is required in person for the public. The deadline's already passed for email comment on the proposals. During the meeting, people can tune in to a live video stream. Ketchikan, like most of the state, finishes up 2021 on high alert status because of COVID case numbers. The seven-person board will be considering 153 proposed changes to commercial, sport, and subsistence fishing regulations. That will be broken up into two sessions. The board will address salmon and herring proposals at the first, starting January 4th. That includes proposals to change king salmon management and the Sitka Sound Sacro Herring Fishery. A second session to address shellfish and groundfish could start around January 12th. Haight says that's subject to change as the board plans to start that second session as soon as the first is done. Sign up for public testimony is on the board's website. The registration deadline to testify for the salmon and herring session is 2 p.m. on January 4th. There will be a separate time for testifying for the second session, between the two sessions, the meeting is scheduled to run January 4th through the 15th. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is once again asking Americans to avoid cruise ship travel. With the emergence of the Omicron variant, federal health officials say that even fully vaccinated passengers can catch and spread COVID-19. On Thursday, the CDC raised the risk level for cruise ship travel to level four, its highest level which means even vaccinated travelers should avoid cruise ships. At the previous level, the CDC was only warning unvaccinated people against cruise ship travel. There are almost 100 ships with COVID-19 on board that the CDC is currently investigating. All cruise ships are sailing in U.S. waters under a so-called conditional sailing order, which means the cruise ship companies have to comply with certain safety regulations and have agreements with the U.S. ports where they dock. That order has been extended until January 15th. There is a full slate of cruise ships scheduled to visit Alaska in 2022. The first large ship is scheduled to arrive in Ketchikan at the end of April. It's been a whipsaw year for management of the nearly 17 million acre Tongass National Forest as the Biden administration works to undo policies of its predecessors. Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick has this roundup of 2021 and the latest on the fate of the 20-year-old fight over the roadless rule in Southeast Alaska. 
Last year, the Trump administration won plaudits from Alaska's elected leaders, exempting Southeast Alaska's national forest from the roadless rule, which restricts road building and development. In real terms, it opened up about 168,000 acres of old-growth forest to potential logging. But while championed by Alaska's congressional delegation and Governor Mike Dunleavy, the roadless rule rollback was criticized by tribes, conservationists, and industries such as fishing and tourism, which argued that more clear cuts would be short-sighted. Here's Austin Williams, an Anchorage-based attorney with Trout Unlimited. There's absolutely no reason for us to continue to clear-cut log old-growth forest. It's a, a critically important resource and, and something that we need to be taking much better care of. That was shortly after word came from the Biden administration that the exemption would be overturned, restoring protections to about half the largest national forest in the country. Southeast Conference's Robert Venables says it was another U-turn from a political transition in Washington, D.C. It's, it's very disappointing to see the continual back and forth every four years. It wasn't until November that President Biden's Agriculture Secretary, Tom Vilsack, who oversees the Forest Service, released more details of its plans. I don't know how many times the uh, Vilsack can announce the same thing and have it sound like news. That was Juno attorney Jim Clark, who helped lead a lawsuit, later joined by the Dunleavy administration, to preserve the roadless rules exemption. It was dismissed by a federal court. But the upshot of the November announcement was the opening of a two-month comment window for the public to weigh in on the future of the Tongass. In a filing published in the Federal Register, the Forest Service noted that Southeast timber industry is a fraction of what it once was. Tongass National Forest-related logging and sawmilling fell from just shy of 200 jobs in the early 2000s to around 60 workers in 2018. This comes as the commercial fishing industry holds steady and the cruising and independent visitor sectors expect significant growth despite hiccups caused by the pandemic. Additionally, Southeast residents who rely on the federal lands to hunt and fish for their food had argued for more protections. Don Hernandez chairs the Regional Advisory Council on Federal Subsistence he lives on Prince of Wales Island and spent hours taking testimony from subsistence hunters, fishermen, and gatherers across the region. It has just become pretty obvious over a long period of time that the areas of the Tongass that were most significantly impacted by past logging were all suffering uh, harms to subsistence uses. So far, the Biden administration's actions are a return to the drawn-out rulemaking process that could be undone by a future president. More permanent protections for the Tongass would likely require an act of Congress. The Forest Service's comment period over its proposal to return roadless protections to the Tongass remains open now until January 24th. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. And this look back at the events of 2021 in Petersburg. I'm Joe Vicknicki in Petersburg, where residents debated the future of health care for this island community with the ongoing backdrop of the COVID-19 pandemic. The conversation has to be more about the realities of living here and how we can provide the best care at the best price for the entire population. Residents posted signs around town backing the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium, hoping to spark a discussion about who should get to build and operate a new hospital here. 
The Petersburg Medical Center, the community hospital for more than a century, wants to replace its aging building with a new one and is seeking grant funding. Meanwhile, search expanded into behavioral health and dentistry in Petersburg with changes in retirements for a local nonprofit and a business this year. Local residents protested against a face covering requirement in indoor public spaces in February. An outbreak later that month had schools returning to distance learning and other closures, and it was Petersburg's largest outbreak during the pandemic. That was until November when case numbers skyrocketed. The medical center expanded its home health program with nurses bringing care directly to patients. If it wasn't for the home health people, I wouldn't have made it because I was too weak to drive myself. I was too weak to even walk. I was too weak to do anything. It's been very scary for me. The borough disbanded its emergency operations center and most health mandates at the end of June, but continued with unenforced face covering requirements during times of high case counts. Throughout the year, the community rallied around a teen getting treated for cancer in Seattle. Joseph Tagabon had a warm homecoming in November. Joseph's here, he's whole, he's, he's alive. <laughs> A two-family business, Hammer and Wecon, celebrated a century in Petersburg with multiple events throughout the year. The Little Norway Festival and many other local events returned with in-person gatherings as well. Petersburg saw a return of small ship cruises with companies mostly requiring vaccinations for passengers. One company did end a voyage in July with an outbreak during a port call to Petersburg. Seafood processing companies mostly required a vaccinated workforce, and those workers kept busy this summer with strong catches of seafood. Fishermen saw high and, in some cases, record-breaking prices for many species. In Petersburg, I'm Joe Vicknicki. That's all for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. You can get the show as a podcast with your favorite podcast app, or you can get it on your smart speaker. Just ask it to play the KRBD Evening Report, or just ask it to play KRBD. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Maria Dudzak. <laughs>